never stuck it out last night. The only other one who caught the other line. You're the only one when this world collides. The one I can't deny. I Grab your Bibles, turn to Luke, Luke chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. Use your Bibles under your seat if you want. We want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, whatever Bible you use to study at home. Encourage you to take notes. It'll help you to remember um, what we're talking about. Hey, what we're talking through this morning is a very familiar passage. If you grew up in the church, if you've been around the church very long, if you grew up in Sunday school, then you've heard this uh, taught, you, you're, you get familiar with the story, and um, I say this all the time, but sometimes familiarity breeds complacency. And so sometimes we come to a passage like this and you find out, oh, the, the pastor's going to talk about the temptation of Jesus. Oh, I already know that story. And here's what I want you to hear. The, the scriptures tell us that the word of God is alive and it's active. And what that means is anytime you come to a passage of scripture, even if you've read it a hundred times, even if you've studied it, God has something in that passage for you that you ought to approach the word of God as a living document that is going to do a good work in your, in your soul, in your spirit. It is the word of God and the word of God does not return void. It has an impact. So even though it's a familiar story, my encouragement to you is to stay with me. Last week, we saw John the Baptist in the wilderness, and one of the points that I made in that uh, sermon was that God is bringing good out of the wilderness, that there's something going on in the wilderness that we need to pay attention. Difficulties, hard times, these are all ways that we say wilderness experience. The point is, if you want to grow, remember Jesus grew in wisdom. If you want to grow, then you need to receive what God has for you in the wilderness. There's a guy by the name of J. Robert Clinton. He is a doctor of, and teaches at Fuller Seminary. And he says this, he says, you need to get out of the boundary what God has for you in the boundary before you get out of the boundary. Think about it for a minute. Just let it sink in. You got to get out of the wilderness well, God has for you in the wilderness before you get out of the wilderness. And part of the problem is when we are in the wilderness, when we are in a difficult situation, our resistance sometimes is worn thin and we become susceptible to temptation. We become susceptible to sin. Actually, what we want to do is we want to short circuit whatever God is doing and do anything we can to get ourselves out of the wilderness. But we got to Get out of the boundary, what God has for us in the boundary before we get out of the boundary. So we're going to see how that plays out as we look at today's passage. The, the wilderness, it's the place where your faith is tested. It is the place where God forges the deepest level of trust in your soul. So as we, excuse me, as we read this, we're going to see this profound truth that God is in the wilderness. Now, some of you would read that God is in the wilderness and you would say, well, of course, God is everywhere. But when I say God is in the wilderness, I don't only mean that he is omnipresent. What I mean is God is in the process of taking us through, that, that God is up to something in the wilderness experience, okay? So God is in the wilderness. The question for us is how are we supposed to respond? What is the response from us that yields the most fruit, which yields the most growth in our lives? Okay, let me read. Luke Chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. 
And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you will then worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then he, the devil, took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every Temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let me pray. Lord, I pray uh, that you would just guide my words. I pray that you would allow us to receive what you have for us in your word that is living and is active. It is so awesome. The word of God is so incredible. So help me to uh, just say the very things that you've placed on my heart throughout this week and help people to receive exactly what you have for them. Jesus' name, amen. So in order to really get this particular event, one of the things we need to do, and keep your Bibles open because we're gonna go through this one uh, pretty in depth, but you need to go back and look at the last line of chapter three. So we're going through the genealogy of Jesus, his, his heritage, if you will, who beget who, if you will. And so if you look at 338, it says this, it says the son of Enos was the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. Now, we've already heard that phrase, son of God, spoken about Jesus. The the angel Gabriel said Jesus was the son of God. Luke has said that this baby that's coming is the son of God. So so Adam and Jesus share this sort of common moniker of being a son of God. But there is another group, the Israelites themselves. In Deuteronomy, it refers to them as God's firstborn son, that they are God's son as well. And so what we're going to see as we unpack the story is the story of the temptation that I just read is deeply rooted in Old Testament stories, that the stories all link together. In fact, we're going to see that Jesus does what Adam and Eve couldn't do in the garden or wouldn't do is probably a better way to say it. We're going to see that Jesus does what the people of Israel couldn't do or wouldn't do when they were in the desert. But these are all stories that are connected. This is the Bible. It is full of stories, but it is not just a bunch of independent stories. This is one narrative. This is one story about Jesus. All of the scriptures point to Jesus. They're all connected together. But the other thing I want you to hear is the narrative is still being written. We are invited into the story that God is writing. That this ends with, when it ends, but, but we know from Revelation that the story is continuing. God is inviting us in to share in this incredible story that he is writing. What is happening in this church, what is happening in your life is all part of the same story that God is writing. Okay? So God is 
actively involved in our lives. God is weaving the story together. And, and what I want you to hold on to is even when we go through difficult seasons, even when we have hardship in our lives, God is still writing the story. Or another way to say that is God is in the wilderness. Let me show you from the passage how we know for certain or absolutely that God is in the wilderness. Look at verse one. It starts with this powerful reminder. It says, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. It says, for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days and when they were ended, he was hungry. Jesus is full of the Spirit and he is led by the Spirit. He is following exactly what God wants him to do. He is in total obedience to the Spirit and the Spirit leads him into the wilderness for the very purpose of preparing him for the ministry that was ahead. Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature. Jesus went through this experience to get him ready for the three years of ministry, to get him ready for the cross that was ahead of him. All of this was about preparing him for what was ahead. Jesus was led into the wilderness. In this story, we find Jesus practicing two very important spiritual disciplines. The first is solitude. He goes off on his own. If you read through the gospel accounts, it often says that Jesus would remove himself from the people, that he would go off to be alone with his father. And the question I would ask you is, when was the last time you were really alone with God? I mean, we have a busy, busy life. We are overscheduled people. <coughs> Excuse me. And all that busyness, it is often hard for us to find time to be alone. And my encouragement to you is pay attention. Jesus needed to remove himself and go and be alone with the Father. You need to practice the spiritual discipline of solitude. The other spiritual discipline we see there is fasting. And the question we should ask ourselves is, why did Jesus fast? Or to put it more personally, why does the Bible tell us to fast? What's the deal with fasting? Well, there's a lot going on when a person fasts, but I can tell you one of the reasons that fasting is this is because it is a scheduled or planned wilderness experience. There is nothing comfortable about not eating. There's nothing comfortable about putting yourself in that situation where you are truly hungry. It is a way of going into the wilderness by the Spirit's prompting and experiencing what God has for you because we know that God is in the wilderness. But don't miss this. Jesus is in the wilderness because he is full of the Spirit and he is led by the Spirit to be there. Sometimes we suffer because we say yes to Jesus. Sometimes the Spirit will ask you to do something that will put you in a place where you have some type of difficulties in your life. Other people may reject you. You may have problems. The, that following Jesus can create a wilderness experience in your life. So sometimes we suffer because we are led by the Spirit and following the Spirit. Sometimes we suffer because we're stupid. Right? Sometimes we just make bad choices. Sometimes we invite things into our life that shouldn't be in our lives, and those things create chaos, and they create pain, and they create death to relationships, and then you end up in a wilderness sort of experience because of all of that. And here's what I want you to know. In both of those cases, God is in the wilderness. In both of those cases, God will use that. So when you do the thing that you know you shouldn't do and you end up in a rough situation and that pain and that chaos and that death comes into your relationship, God is using that to get your attention. 
God is using that to say, wake up. Last week, we talked about the idea of repentance. Turn back to me. Change your heart. Change your mind and follow me. So the wilderness can be something because we screwed up and we did the wrong thing and now we're experiencing difficulty in our lives. But sometimes we are in the wilderness because we say yes to Jesus and we're doing the very thing that Jesus has called us to do. Look at verse two. It says, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Don't miss this. This is so important to your spiritual health. For 40 days, Jesus was tempted by the devil. Sometimes I think we say to ourselves, if I were just more spiritual, if I just had a better connection with God, then I wouldn't be tempted. I got news for you. As you grow as a follower of Jesus, as you grow more spiritually, as you have a stronger connection to God, you will experience more temptation. It's crazy to think about this, but maybe the reason you're not being tempted is because you're really no threat to the devil, right? So the more I'm walking with God, the more Satan wants to get me off track. The more I am following the very thing that God wants me to do. Look, the reason Satan was going after Jesus is because he didn't want him to do the very thing that God had called him to do. So sometimes we beat ourselves up because we experience temptation and we don't realize that the very reason we may be experiencing the temptation is because we're doing the thing that God has called us to do. This is so important that you get it. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not even weakness. Jesus was tempted and I don't want you to gloss over this. The fact that Jesus was tempted meant that he had some sort of pull towards it. See, if he didn't want it, he wouldn't have been tempted. If he didn't have any kind of carnal desire, if he didn't have any of that humanness in him that made him want it, then it wouldn't have been a temptation. Look, I know it's crazy. I do not particularly like chocolate. Chocolate is not a temptation for me. Now, my daughter makes a mean carrot cake. And if I'm on a diet, all bets are off when the carrot cake comes out of the oven. That's a temptation for me because I like it, because I desire it. And I can turn away from the things I don't like. And you all could just pick in your mind right now those things that you desire that become a temptation. If it was no desire, if there was no pull, then it wouldn't be a temptation. This is why pornography and sexual sin is so rampant. Because God has made you to enjoy that. Not pornography, not sexual sin. God has made you to enjoy marriage and sex within a marriage between a man and a woman is a beautiful expression. And God has made us to enjoy that. And then we pervert it. But the thing is, it's, in, it's something in us that pulls us towards it. There's something, in, that's why it's so addictive when you get yourself pulled into there because it's part of how God has wired you to want that, but to want it. And here's the thing, it's an illusion of truth. It's not the real thing, it's a substitute and it doesn't bring the thing you think it's gonna bring. In in essence, it brings death to your relationships, death to your inner being. Here's how it plays out. So if if I'm online and um, I'm just, I, I use AOL, I'm the last person in America to use AOL, I know. 
The young people always laugh at me when I give them my email address. AOL? I didn't even know they still had that. Anyway, I, yes, I have an AOL email. But when I'm on AOL, when I'm on Google, there's these little things. They're called banners. They're pop-ups, right? They're on the side of the thing. And it will say something like, Jennifer Lopez wears a skimpy dress to the AMA Awards. Look, I'm sitting there and I think, oh, I'd like to see Jennifer Lopez in a skimpy dress. And here's the deal. I haven't sinned yet. And I can say to myself, hey, it's no big deal. Click. Now my temptation has moved down the track. Look, it doesn't take very far for us to go in our mind for temptation to become sin. I don't even have to click. If I just want to fantasize, then I can move it into sin. But at the moment that I feel that, if I just said to myself, you know what? Satan just wants to get me off track. Satan just wants to get between me and my wife. Satan just wants me to bring this death and destruction into my family, into my relationship. I don't want anything to do with that. What if at that moment I just prayed? What if I just said, Lord, give me the strength to ignore that? And what if it was really pulling on me? What if I just called a friend? Said, hey, I just feel in a tug towards some things I know I shouldn't do. Would you pray with me in this moment and help me to, to not give into that? So what I want you to hear here is temptation is not sin. And if you think it's sin, what happens is you throw in the towel. You say, oh, there I am again. I'm worthless. I'm nothing. I can't even, oh, I'm feeling that tug again. And so you just give in. And I want you to hear you don't have to give in. Maybe the best thing you could say to yourself is I must be getting something right because I'm being tempted today and I want to keep getting something right. So I'm going to stay on track. We all need to have this paradigm shift in our minds and realize temptation might just be a sign that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Back to Luke. Here's where the story gets kind of surprising to me when I look at it is the temptations are the very thing that God is using to forge the trust in God that Jesus needs to have. He's using the actual temptation to do the work of growing Jesus in the desert. It's just a reminder that God is in the wilderness. So the story shifts. We have these three different ways that Jesus was tempted. I think if you dig into that a little bit and read it again, you'll see that Jesus was tempted in every way, which tells me he was probably tempted a lot more than these three. We just get these three as the highlights of what was going on. So verse three, devil comes to him and he says, hey, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Think about the Exodus story. The people are uh, enslaved by Egypt and then we have all those really cool plagues that come that by God's outstretched hands he delivers them and he goes and they're delivered into the wilderness and they become grumbling complaining people they they let their stomachs guide their thoughts they're they're just desperately um, out there just complaining against God sinning against God right and so now we have another story where Jesus is in the desert and the devil's kind of going right to that carnal feeling of, of hunger that he has in him, right? Or think about Adam and Eve. What did they do? They ate. So it's almost like the exact same words. The devil said, no, no, no. You can eat this. No, don't worry about what God said. Just do, do this. It'll be better for you. So there's, a, there's some similarities to the temptation, but Jesus says to the devil, or the devil says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, Here's what I want you to hear. The more I study this, the more I don't think he was challenging whether or not he was actually the son of God. I think he knew 
that he was the son of God. And I think he knew that Jesus knew he was the son of God. He just got baptized shortly before that. The, the dove came, said, hey, this is my son, right? I'm well pleased. All of that's going on. So Jesus knows who he is. Here's what I think he's saying. If you are the son of God, you don't have to be hungry. No, doesn't God want you to be happy? If you're the son of God, you shouldn't have to go through any difficulties. I mean, after all, you're God's special son. You shouldn't have any of these problems in your life. It's the trappings of the prosperity gospel that says that if I do everything right, if I just have enough faith, I'm never going to go through difficult seasons. It's a lie. It's not in the scriptures. And when we think that way, then we forget that God is in the wilderness. This is a common trap for us. So I have people come to my office and they're deciding to make a decision that they know they shouldn't make. And this is what they say almost every time. Doesn't God want me to be happy? I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I don't want to stay where I am. I don't want to do what I've been doing. I don't want to feel the pain I've been feeling. And doesn't God just want me to be happy? And it's the wrong question. Doesn't God want me to be obedient? Because God is more concerned with your character than he is your external circumstances. And here's what I want you to know, that in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of all of this, you can have joy. You can have an, a joy that goes beyond anything that you can conjure up in your own, and it goes way beyond being happy. But God is not going to allow you to do whatever you want to do, and your temptation will be to take matters into your own hands, just like Jesus could take matters in his own hands and turn the bread into the stone. You can short-circuit the work that God is trying to do and try to get yourself out of the wilderness before God wants you to come out of the wilderness, and you will be, bring pain and destruction into your life. The devil says, hey, you're God's son. You don't need to go through this. And I think Jesus said, wow, that's tempting. But man shall not live on bread alone. Later, Jesus in the gospel of John says to his disciples, because they're asking him about why he didn't eat. And he said, I have food you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of my father. He learned something in the desert. He learned that as hungry as he was, it was better for him to be obedient. It says the angels came and ministered him, that he would rather have this food of obedience than he would have food. So even if he wanted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, he wasn't going to go make his own peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. He knew God is in the wilderness. He knew that God was the one that was going to bring him out of the wilderness. The devil comes to him a second time. Look at verse 5. It says the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but in my mind, I think he showed him kingdoms forward and kingdoms past. I think he said, look, this is everything, not just the, the Roman kingdom. This is all the kingdoms of the world. Can you see it, Jesus? And Jesus is like, I, I see it. I see it. And he said to him, to you, I will give all authority and their glory. Don't miss that all authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Here's what's fascinating about this temptation. This is what's already been promised to Jesus. This is what will happen when Jesus goes to the cross, when he dies and he's buried and the spirit of God, the same spirit that's in you, raises Jesus from the dead 
right? And Jesus says to his disciples after that, all authority has been given to me and I give it to you. And Satan is saying to him, hey, you're the son of God. You don't have to suffer. That cross thing, it's gonna hurt. You don't need to go to the cross. Your best friends are gonna reject you. You don't have to deal with any of that. Just worship me and I'll just give it all to you. First of all, you need to know that was not his to give. So it was a lie. So you don't need to listen to what Satan says because just trust me, it's a lie. So when he says, no, this is a, a better way to go. I got what you think you need. I'm gonna give it to you. He did, it wasn't his to give. But the interesting thing is he kind of played into the promises of God, what God had already said to Jesus. And so somewhere in there, it must have been a temptation for Jesus to say, yeah, and then think about the Exodus story, right? So they're in the wilderness and, and they're just, the Israelites, they're, they're just, they're hating it. They don't like living in tents. They don't like the heat. They don't like the snakes. They don't like the sand in the bed because every time you lay down, it's itchy and scratchy. Everything about the wilderness experience isn't going well for them. They hate it and they want out of the wilderness. And the truth is they haven't even been in the wilderness for very long. They're just babies. So they haven't been in the wilderness very long. Moses goes up to get the 10 commandments, to get the law, right? And so they just, they, they're like, we, we want out. I know what we'll do. Everybody give me your gold. Everybody give me your gold. We're gonna make a golden calf. The same idols that are, People who enslaved us used to worship. We're going to make a calf and we're going to worship the calf. Why would they worship the calf? Because they thought if they worshiped the calf, they'd get out of the wilderness. Because if I just give my alliance to something else, then this will get me out of the pain that I'm in. It didn't go well for them. If you go back and read the stories, many of them died. They brought sin into the camp. They brought chaos into the camp. They brought punishment into the camp. Satan tricked them. He said, if you just worship me, I'll get you out of the wilderness. They didn't remember that God was in the wilderness, that God was forging their character in the wilderness. And he's doing it to prepare them for what's ahead, to prepare them for the promised land that's coming. Jesus doesn't fall for it. It's the same temptation, just worship me. And he says, no, 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 I'm not gonna worship you. You should worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Here's a side note to this whole thing. When you feel uh, temptation, uh, Fight it with scripture. Jesus, three times he takes scripture from Deuteronomy, from the Exodus story. He uses the scripture to combat what Satan is doing. So scripture is an, an amazingly useful tool for us in battling temptation. And some of you say, yeah, but I don't know enough scripture. I'm pretty new to this whole Jesus thing. I just don't know much scripture. So I'm gonna give you the passage that will save your life. Okay? So here's what I want you to say. I have everything I need for life and godliness. Say it, I have everything I need for life and godliness. Say it one more time. I have everything I need for life and godliness. One more time. Can you remember that? I have everything I need. Do you know that's 2 Peter 1.3? So when you feel that pull to do something you know you shouldn't do, and then you hear this little voice saying you're weak, you can't handle it, you can say, I have everything I need for life and and for godliness. Now you have enough scripture to battle temptation. Continue to learn the scripture, continue to use it, but just know there's, the Bible says very clearly, no one is tempted beyond their ability to resist. You cannot claim it was more than I could handle. I didn't know enough Bible passages. I already gave you the Bible passages that will get you through. So you have everything you need to resist temptation. Jesus knows that God is in the wilderness. He also knows there's no shortcuts and he refuses to do anything that isn't led by the Spirit. He's willing to wait. He's willing to learn to trust in his Father 
And in the process of that, his faith is forged at the deepest level. So the devil tries again, the last temptation, says Jesus took him to the pinnacle of the temple. So the pinnacle of the temple is an actual spot um, in the first century temple. So if you put this picture up, so this is a photograph of a model um, of, the, of the temple, first century temple. So this is the actual temple, and this is what's called the temple mount. So when you hear and you're reading these scriptures, there's, there's courtyards. These are all the different courtyards that are a part of it. Colonnades, this is all a beautiful picture of the first century temple. A picture of a model of the first century temple. Well, the pinnacle was an actual place, and it was right here in this corner. Whoops, go back. Wow, I touched it. This is like the, on the, you know, on ESPN where they, it's not like that really. So the pinnacle was right here in the southwest corner. So there's a historian by the name of Josephus. And Josephus said that if you stand on the pinnacle that you could see down into the Kidron Valley 650 feet below you. And if you stood there, you would become dizzy. It was so high up in the air. This is the spot where Jesus was standing with, with Satan, with the devil. So if you go to the next picture now, when the Romans came in in 70 AD, they destroyed the temple. This is the actual uh, foundation of the Temple Mount that we just saw a picture of. Um, and so they went up there, the, the, the Roman soldiers, and they pushed these. It's, I wish there was a person in this picture because these, you know, I would be like this big standing by these rocks. And these huge rocks fell and you can see the sidewalk here is beginning. It's all dented in from these huge boulders falling. When they came in and they excavated this and did an archaeological dig, they found one particular stone that was the cornerstone. And you really can't see it in the picture, but right here is an inscription. And the inscription says, this is where the trumpeter stands. So the trumpeter would stand there and he would blow his horn, which was the call to prayer. That's the spot. That's the actual spot where Jesus and the devil were. And he could see over the Kidron Valley and see this beautiful landscape, but he could see every inch of Jerusalem. Every inch. And the devil says, jump. Just jump. God's going to protect you. Prove to everybody that you're God. Just jump. God's not going to let anything happen. Look, you're God's son. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. You're special. You can do whatever you want to do. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. Just jump. And I think it's fascinating that he uses scripture to challenge Jesus in this case. So we fight him with scripture and then he comes back around and he pulls out his best shots and pulls out scripture and what does Jesus say? He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's also from Deuteronomy. If you read the Exodus story and you go back over and over, God says, why do you test me? Why do you test me? Why do you keep complaining and grumbling? That word comes up over and over. It's this sin of, of discontent. It's not realizing that God is up to something in the wilderness and just being and having a terrible attitude and complaining against God. Jesus was full of the spirit. He was led by the spirit. And he understood that he was being prepared for something more. What qualifies and equips us to lead what allows us to have an impact in other people's lives is the way we navigate the wilderness experiences. Because that's where our faith is forged. That's where our trust in God is built at the deepest level. The scriptures say that those who wait on the Lord, it takes nothing to wait on God when you're not in a difficult season. But when things are hard, when you're in the wilderness, are you willing to wait on God? Or are you going to take matters into your own hands? Are you going to take shortcuts? Are you going to succumb to the temptation of Satan to do whatever you can do to get out of the situation that you're in? But it says those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings 
like eagle. God is in the wilderness. He is trying to teach you something about your character. This is a truth that's worth holding on to because we're all gonna come and go out of wilderness experiences. It's the wilderness that allows our feeble faith to become strong and powerful. So I sent out a Facebook thing yesterday, um, might have been Friday, asking you to read the passage. And the question I ask is why? Why did Jesus have to go through this temptation in the wilderness? What was God up to? I want you to turn to Hebrews 4. We're gonna read 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, and I know I don't like to throw another passage in at the end, but the reason I wanna use this passage is because it is a summary statement that answers the question, why? Why did all this have to take place? Why did Jesus even have to go to the wilderness in the first place? What was God up to in the wilderness? Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. To hold fast to your confession just means hold fast to what you believe about Jesus. Okay, you confess that Jesus is Lord. Hold fast to that truth, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We do not have a high priest who is unable to, to understand. Jesus not, does not stand over you and fill you with shame and say, how could you be tempted? How could you ever be tempted? Don't you know everything I've done for you? How could you even think about that? No, he says, I, I get it. I remember. I remember how you can sometimes get sucked into the lie and it can, it can be tempted for you. And, and I get it. He doesn't shame us. He understands us. God gets us. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion is we have a high priest who came down and walked in our shoes so that he knows what we're going through and he can sympathize and he can pray for us. The question is, so what do I do when I feel that pull? What do I do when I'm struggling with temptation? Look at verse 16, it says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. This is not that complicated. When you see the little window and you wanna click the little button, say, no, 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 God, let me turn to God. The scriptures say, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Hold on to the truth of that scripture. Hold on to the fact that Jesus understands he is not shaming you. He wants to enter into that chaos with you. God is in the wilderness, but the wilderness is not the end of the story. God is leading you to a better place. The wilderness is not the final destination. Deuteronomy 8.17, God proclaims, that I took take you through the wilderness that I might humble you and test you. And I do it because there's good in the end. That's what the passage says. There's good that comes out of this wilderness experience. God is in the wilderness. God is up to something in forging you. But Deuteronomy 8, 9 also says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into the good land, the land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs. And you think about water, it's, it's 
always a picture of the Holy Spirit moving. God is taking you to a place that is so much richer than the place that you are. My encouragement to you this morning is get out of the wilderness everything that God has for you in the wilderness before you get out of the wilderness. Allow God to give you what he wants to give you so that your faith is forged, so that your trust in God is strong. And here's the deal, if you do not trust God in the hard times, you will not trust him in the good times. God is forging your faith through the difficulties. And I know your stories. And some of you are in hard places. And I just wanna tell you, God is in it. Let's pray. So Lord, I just thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for this amazing story. The God of the universe came and walked in our shoes and he was tempted in every way and did not sin. I thank you that we have a high priest that understands. I thank you that we can cry out to Jesus in our time of need and receive grace and receive mercy and receive help. Lord, help us to walk faithfully with you. Help us to receive all that you have for us as we navigate the difficult seasons of life. And for those of us who are not in a difficult season, just prepare our hearts for when the hard things come that we will honor you with our lives and help us to be alongside those who are going through difficult seasons. Help us to be the body of Christ to encourage one another. Lord, I pray for the people who just maybe get it today for the first time. They're in the wilderness and they didn't know they could cry out to Jesus. They didn't know that Jesus loves them so much that he laid down his life and died for them so that they could navigate the hardest of seasons, that they would stop in this moment and just say yes to Jesus. That they would just say, Lord, I've made a mess, but I want Jesus in my life and I give you control of my life. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior they would pray that prayer and that you would usher them into the kingdom, that you would fill them with your spirit and you would give them everything they need for life and godliness. Lord, take us from this place and help us to continue to have an impact in this neighborhood and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. We have people down here that would love to pray for you. I know many of you, this touched a nerve. If you just wanna come down and allow us to pray over you, we would love to do that. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.